0: Right then, good morning. Um, No prizes for guessing where I'm going to ask you to turn to. Um, Please turn to the book of Colossians. If, of course, you're here for the first time or for the first time in a while, um, it's the case that for a few weeks over the summer we've been looking at the book of Colossians together. What Paul has to say um, to this particular church. And if you have not brought a Bible with you but would like Uh, to follow in the scriptures as we go through. Do you want to just raise a hand, because we've got a few Bibles that we can just pass around. If you keep a hand up nice and high, those Bibles will come through. And if you have a Bible, you can be finding Colossians chapter 2. Right then, Um, this morning we're actually going to focus in particular on more or less one verse. Um, But I'd really like us to see the flow uh, just before and just after that verse. So we'll read from the beginning of chapter 2 for a few verses. Paul writes this For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who've not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you, delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. just want to read a few verses there. We are in fact going to focus on one verse in particular, which is verse 6, which starts with the mighty significant word, therefore... Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. This verse kind of signals a slight change in tone in the letter. Um, You will recall that right at the beginning of the letter, Paul introduces himself. He tells this group of believers um, what he's been thanking God for um, about them and what he's been praying for on their behalf. And from there, that catapults him into really wanting to focus their attention on who Christ is. So he gives Um, some consistent teaching, some thorough teaching on who the Son of God is. They really needed to get hold of that. He talks then about his ministry, but even in talking about his ministry, it's clear that it's all about Christ. It's all about Jesus. He wants to make the Word of God fully known, so they might know the mystery of Christ, Christ in you, and so on. So Paul really wants to hammer that home. He comes to this point, and uh, this is the point at which we realize... Paul isn't just writing a letter for the sake of it. He's not just um, thinking, oh, how can, I, how can I be seen to be productive? I know what, I'll, I'll write a letter to that church I've never been to. Um, he has something he really, really wants this church to get hold of. It's not just so that they can say, oh, yes, we've understood some of Paul's teachings. It's, no, they really need to get hold of something. They really need to put something into practice. Hence, there is this word, therefore, or in the NIV, so then. You've taken on board some truth. So then, there there is a kind of a a taking action, a doing of something. Something's required. It's not just to kind of affect the intellect, what we believe on the inside. No, this is about how we live, what's going on in our lives. So Paul here is giving the Colossians the first direct instruction uh, in this letter. He has, he's shared with them his encouragements, his prayers about Christ and about his ministry. Now he's coming to this, the very first kind of instruction, a direct encouragement, a direct exhortation to this church. And in a sense, everything that follows from this point onwards in this letter is a kind of continuation of this verse. Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Most of the rest of the letter can almost be seen as explaining that further, expounding that further in different areas of life, how to walk in him and how to continue in the one that we've the one we've received. So, in order to understand this this first statement, this first instruction to the Colossians, which is also for our benefit, also written for us, that we might get hold of, we're going to do it in two parts. We're going to see, first of all, we first of all need to understand. The first clause, which is, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. It raises a question, well, how did we receive Christ Jesus the Lord? If we are to continue and to walk in him, we need to know kind of how we've received. That's the first kind of question that we come to. Um, there's a few hints of this as we read through in earlier verses. Paul, right at the beginning in chapter 1, verse 4, says, um, when we pray for you, since we've heard of your faith, in Christ Jesus. That's what's encouraged him so much, hearing of this church, the believer's faith. And right before verse 6, funnily enough in verse 5, he says, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. That is the kind of the hint. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, how have we received him? We received him by faith. By believing. There's something similar in the book of John. Um, As John there, he begins in the book of John uh, by first of all explaining, so that no one misses the point, who exactly Jesus is. And he goes on there and arrives at verse 12, or perhaps we'll read from, from verse 11. John 1, verse 11, talking of Christ. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, we've received him by believing in his name, in believing who he is, in believing what he's done on our behalf, as we've been singing, as we've been hearing, as we've been praying about this morning, we've come to faith in him. So if you have received Jesus as Lord... As it says there in John, you are, you have the privilege, you are God's child. You've been made a child of God, just as we were kind of reflecting earlier on. Sometimes uh, feelings can be, um, don't quite match up with that. Sometimes kind of, we can be robbed of the joy of knowing we're God's children because guilt can creep in. Oh, this this debt has been paid, but um, but surely that just means I've got more to pay back. Sometimes we can kind of wake up in the morning and feel, I don't know that I feel now like I'm a child of God. And it's almost ridiculous because there are times, there are mornings, indeed, there are quite a few mornings when I will wake up in the morning and uh, I won't feel particularly human. Um, I won't look particularly human. Um, feel free not to comment on that. Um, I, I, I may not feel human. I just, you know. Sleep deprivation does horrendous things on occasion. You wake up and just feel like a zombie. My breath doesn't smell like I'm human. Everything about me suggests in myself that this morning I'm not human. But the fact is, every morning when I wake up, and I hope you agree, I am a human being. Uh, That fact doesn't change. It's true from the moment I was born onwards. I'm a human. Um, So my feelings can kind of suggest otherwise. But actually there's truth and a fact for me to get hold of. I am human. And there is a fact for us to get hold of. If you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, you are a child of God. Period. End of discussion. It's something you can say to yourself as you wake up. Your feelings might say otherwise. But hang on a minute. I know what the word says. And I know that I've received Christ as Lord. And I know, therefore, that I am a child of God. I've received him as Lord. It's not by, it's not by works. It's we haven't earned this. We haven't earned the right to become his child. Nor is it because of our feelings. No, it's truly because of all that Christ has done. And so we're children of God. We're also children and people of faith. We've come to believe in this one that we've received. We've come to believe in Christ as our Lord. We've come to faith in actually what is, for us, the biggest miracle that we'll ever experience. The miracle that is all of our debt, all of that overdraft, as it were, all of that kind of being in the red, all of that being taken away in Christ, that debt of all our sin, all our filth, all our degradation, every way, that uh, since the moment we conceived, we've disobeyed God. All of it taken away in Christ. And now the miracle gets even better, in that Christ doesn't just leave us with nothing in the balance. He takes it on. He says, no, I'm making you my child. I'm welcoming you into my family. I'm making you righteous. I'm making you. I've made you clean in my sight. There's peace between you and me right now. because Because what I have done in you, so this is, for us, the biggest, the biggest miracle. Earlier in Colossians, in chapter 1, verse 13, Paul refers to us being delivered from the domain of darkness. The Son of God delivering us from a de- domain of darkness where we can't, we can't see clearly. We can't find our way out of this domain. It's impossible for us to get out of that. We're in a complete fix. Oh, but God broke in. The Son of God broke in and delivered us from that domain. And a few verses on, in in, in chapter 2 and verse 13, which we'll get to maybe at some stage, it says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. In our sin, in our trespasses, we were effectively dead. Dead to God. That's an impossible situation for anyone to get out of. A dead person cannot decide by themselves to become alive again. If they're lucky, there'll be some medic around who can resuscitate them, but it'll take someone else to bring them back to life if at all. A dead person, a dead body can't decide to become alive again. And that speaks of the kind of the impossibility of the situation that we were in. We couldn't command ourselves to come back to life. We had no hope. We were dead. We were lost. We were in darkness. It was impossible for us to be saved. Ah, but we've received Christ Jesus as Lord. we received him. By just believing in him, we've become alive together with him. We've become children of God. We're in his family now. How can this be? Oh, well, it's by faith. What, in what we've done? No, in all that Christ has done for us. So what was impossible is possible with God. Now, Jesus uses an amazing, quite a witty illustration in the book of Mark. In fact, it's in a few books uh, in the Gospels. But if we turn to the book of Mark in, in chapter 10, you see quite a witty way uh, that Jesus used to explain the situation that we were in. He, he encounters there, in Mark chapter 10, a rich man. And um, this rich man comes to him and says, look, I've, I've obeyed everything since I was young, but what, what must I do to kind of inherit the kingdom? What must I do to kind of, uh, to kind of progress, as it were? And this guy goes away sad. He turns away sad because Jesus tells him to, uh, to give away the things that he has and come and follow him. And he goes away sad because he's a man of much wealth. And um, in response to that, Jesus comments, let's just find it, verse 23. He says just before then, "Uh, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked and turned around to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now Jesus isn't just saying, oh yes, for rich people it will be difficult to come into the kingdom of God. For others, it might be possible. The disciples understand what he says what he's saying because they go on in verse 26. Then who can be saved? Not which rich person can be saved then? No. Who can be saved? Can, can anyone be saved? If it's as difficult as a camel trying to go through the eye of a needle, the biggest animal they're likely to know there in Palestine going through the smallest hole they can conceive of, a camel going through the eye of a, me- a needle. It's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's not possible. It's, for us, it's like, can you imagine a jumbo jet trying to get through your letterbox? It's really not going to happen. How is this possible then, that anyone can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible. But not with God for all things are possible with God. Oh yeah, it's impossible for us. It's impossible for you. You look at this impossible situation of this massive debt. You'd never be able to pay back however much you earn. Impossible for you, but not impossible for Christ. Not impossible for God, for nothing is impossible for God. So we've received Him as Lord. We've received Him by faith, by believing in what what He's done. Therefore, we're children of God, but we are people. We're men and women, if you've received him this morning. You're a man or a woman of faith. And you've already come to faith in this biggest miracle ever to occur in your life. The biggest impossibility, your sin, our sin, has been dealt with by Jesus. That kind of puts everything else into perspective. We come across loads of things that, which are frankly impossible, but actually for God. Nothing is impossible. So this is how we have received. We've received by faith, not in our own works, but in who our God is, in who he is, the one who's able to do anything for whom nothing is impossible. And so we go on. The second part of this statement in Colossians. The the instruction, the the challenge, the, the encouragement for the Colossians and for us, is as you've received Him, so continue in Him. Walk in Him. Paul has prayed for this. He's prayed in chapter 1, verse 10. He's been saying he wants them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. He's prayed for it. Now he's instructing them. Walk. Continue. This implies for us some action some activity in our part. It's not a case of, as you received in him, so stand still and make no progress in life. No, it's, so walk in him. But neither is it, as you receive in him, so float in him in all you do. It's easy, you just have to glide. Go with the flow. Just let go and let God. He'll do everything. No, there's some, there's some ac- action on our part. We're not to be passive, and neither are we to think the Christian life is all about some kind of mystical floating. We can kind of feel that maybe that's what Jesus did. Yeah, Jesus, he just, he just glided in situations. He, his feet were somehow just a few inches above the ground, and so he just floated. It was easy for him. Of course it was easy for him, and that's how it should be for us. No, we've got to learn to walk like Jesus. Actually, he had time in the wilderness. He had time where people were coming to him with opposition, with difficult questions, with their unbelief, picking up stones ready to hurl at him. He encountered all those kind of situations. He was a man of faith, man of faith in his God, and he learned to walk in every situation. We need to learn to walk in every situation. So how do we walk? In exactly the same way that we received by faith. We are people of faith. We have faith in a God for whom nothing is impossible. Our God spoke and the universe was commanded into existence. He spoke when there was only Him present, everything else was nothing, if that makes sense. And he commanded things to be created. He's a God that can do the impossible. Jesus with his disciples in the boat. There's a raging storm going on. Jesus speaks and commands the storm to be still. The disciples again are utterly astonished because time and time again they're seeing who he is. The Son of God for whom nothing is impossible. And some of them would have been around when he went to the tomb that Lazarus was in. His good friend Lazarus, who for four days had been dead, wrapped up in a tomb. He speaks and says, come out, as it were, be alive. And Lazarus comes out of the tomb. And for us, those who have received Christ as lords, he says, You're my child. You are my child. This is what our God is like. A God for whom nothing is impossible. And this is the God in whom we've come to believe. This is how we've come to be saved in the first place. With faith in who he is. And so as you've received him with that faith, so we are to continue to walk in faith. Continuing to walk in faith. Now, with walking, there are a couple of difficulties. First of all, you have to learn to walk in the very first place. Um, that doesn 't take kind of ages in the grand scheme of things, but there are other challenges that come that come across other difficulties to do with walking. Imagine now, after this meeting, if uh, rather than drive home, you decided to go for a walk. I wonder then, depending on how familiar you are with this part of town, I wonder then how far you'd have to go, how long it would take you before you were in a situation, before you were kind of walking along a street or an area that you'd never seen before. You've learnt how to walk, but this is unfamiliar. You're on new territory. You know, For some, it might take 15, 20 minutes to find somewhere walking you've never been before. For others, it might take a day. But it doesn't take very long, does it? before we'd be somewhere that's unfamiliar, that we've never seen, that we're unsure of. And so for us, in our lives, actually we can can, um, become unsure of things and uh, unsettled because things are unfamiliar to us. Wherever we are at, however old we are, whichever situation faces us right here today, um, for all of us, we can come across things, I've never been here before, I've never encountered this situation. And there might be people thinking um, as I'm talking, just aware of what this week signifies. This is the week of going back to school. Or this is even, the, sorry to mention that for those who maybe wanted to forget. Um, this is the week of going back to school. Or perhaps even for some of you who are quite young, you're going to school for the first time. Or you're going into a new class or a new year. And you think, oh, crumbs, what's coming up for me? Oh, my GCSEs. I've never done GCSEs before. I've never done A-levels before. I've never gone to a different town to go to university before. This is all new to me. Or I'm going to school, and it's the very first time I'm actually ever going to school or nursery. How am I going to handle this? I'll need to make friends, but I just don't know how that's going to happen. So how are you going to walk in that situation? You've never seen it before. And sometimes when facing a new situation, this is certainly what I can associate with, my initial reaction is something on the lines of, ah, ah, oh no, I've not been here before, what am I going to do? Lord, are you with me? Are you there? Can you help me in this situation? Oh, you, you can. Oh, you have. Oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, that's, that's great. I'll, I'll continue walking. Oh, there's something new. Yeah! Lord, are you there? Can you help? Are you with me? Am I still your child? Oh, I am. Oh, you are there. Oh, you can help me. Oh, phew. All oh, right, this is working out because you're with me. We can go through that process of panic, turn to God in desperation, thinking, will he hear us? I hope so. I'll just have to keep going. God does deliver, but that's what we can go through. Are we going to walk by faith or do we just get caught up in kind of the panic of a very new thing. You know, for David, he faced a very new thing, a very new challenge, when he stood up to Goliath. He'd never been in that battle situation before. He'd never faced Goliath before. But he knew that God was with him. He had faith that God was with him and God would help him, deliver him from this evil foe by his faith. Christ. Now he'd not seen Goliath before, but he had had experiences of God delivering him from other things in the past. God had delivered him from kind of lions and bears. So he had some experience of God delivering him in the past. Now from those experiences, he was drawing on faith. He was saying, That's what God has done. That's who I am. I'm someone who knows a God who does the impossible. He's with me. I know He's with me. So I'm going to meet this change head on, knowing that it's not about my ability to make friends, it's not about my ability to kind of step up academically to the next level, it's not about my ability to kind of successfully negotiate challenges that come across my life, but it's God with me, enabling me to face these things with faith, walking in Him in faith. So that's the one challenge to walking, is actually we come across new things all the time. We come across... Uh, another difficulty as well, if you're walking from kind of A to B, along the route, there could be several things, several other paths or other people who might be essentially distracting. Um, so you've received Christ as Lord, but actually constantly around us, as we're seeking to walk in Him, there are other paths. And perhaps more in, Importantly, there are other voices. There are other opinions. There are other kind of apparent experts telling us, no, this is, don't go that way. Oh, for goodness sake, you're not believing in God, are you? No, you need, you need to come this way. You need to come this way. And that's constantly what the world will be presenting us with in our faces or in quite subtle ways. In verse 8 of Colossians 2 um, Paul is mindful of this with where the Colossians are at. And so after giving this, in, this instruction, this exhortation, he says this. See to it that no one takes you captive. By what? By philosophy and empty deceit. Which is based on what? It's just based on human tradition. What's that human tradition based on? Oh, it's according to the elemental spirits or maybe the basic principles of this world. It's not, it's not according to Christ. It's according to human tradition. What over the years humans have come up with, people have come up with as really the best way to go. I you know what are you what are you doing with God? I mean, what, what is that about? What it's just ridiculous, ridiculous. In the world, we can so easily be a laughing stock when we're saying no, we're going God's way. What really? So, in terms of relationships, guy meets girl. Girl meets guy, they like each other, they start getting to know each other, uh, start courting or dating, whichever term you prefer, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend for a while, and maybe things progress. For a while, they're kind of thinking, you know, is is this heading for marriage? Um that's that's the way it feels like it's going. Right, well, hang on a minute, let's get married, let's get engaged. So they go kind of into engagement. Throughout that time, the world can be saying. Why aren't you sleeping together? Are you really going to wait until you're married before you have sex? That's just ridiculous. The world says it's instinctive. If you try and suppress that, you're just going to damage yourself. What you really need to do is kind of experiment, find out with your partner if you're compatible if you do head into this relationship, you want to be reasonably sure of that fact and uh, and so you need to you need to get going. don't 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 hold back on that. That's absolutely ridiculous. Now, this can even be given like a a spiritual twist, or not so much a spiritual twist, but kind of a deceiving edge to it as well. Hasn't God given you that instinct? Hasn't God given you that attraction? to this other person. Why hold back if it's something that God is giving you? That's bizarre. That's the world's way. That's the way the world thinks. So do we walk that way, or do we walk by faith? We can hear these other voices trying to take us by a different route, trying to get us off track. And actually, for those of us who've received Christ, no We're believing in something better. We're believing that sex belongs in marriage. And marriage is God's wonderful creation for where sex should be. That's where it can be enjoyed to its fullness. The damaging stuff happens outside of that relationship. In that relationship, there is license to go for it. Um, This could really uh, produce some interesting discussions around the dinner table. I have apologize in advance to all parents who will have uh, fascinating conversations with their kids. Um, but hey, you know, it's in the Bible, let's talk about it. Um, <laughs> are you going to go God's way? That is a massive thing for, for Christian couples, for people who are engaged, just kind of aware, yeah, this is heading, something, heading somewhere. This is heading to marriage, we believe. But we're believing in something something better, what God wants. The world can kind of lure us with its ideas, but we're actually going with God and what he is doing and what he says is good. So as individuals, we can come across these situations which are new, which are challenging. As individuals leading our lives, we can come across situations where the world is trying to entice us, where the voice of experts seems to ring loud in our ears. But hang on a minute, are those experts people of faith? Are those experts people who know a God for whom everything is possible? Or are they just experts by worldly human traditions, worldly standards? Actually, we've got a God who's given us his word to help us, by faith, walk in the things he has for us. Not just kind of taking on truth, and not just kind of affecting things up here. No, it's about how we are, it's about how we walk. We get hold of truth, we get hold of doctrine, in order that it might affect how we live and how we go on, reflecting His glory in all situations. That's how we live in Him as an individual. How do we live in Him and walk in Him as a church? For the reason that, as a church, we can come across new situations. We can come across situations we've never encountered before. Wow, people are getting healed. This is fantastic. How do we keep going in this? Because we're able to heal people now? No, Because God is a God who for all time has been doing impossible things amongst people that believe. How are we going to continue? It's a new thing. We're pressing on because God can do the impossible. There's new things and as a church we can get distracted. Even for churches there can be voices in the world which are the voices of experts. The kind of ideas for how churches should really go about things. And um, sort of if 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 you if you apply a certain technique if you apply a certain strategy into church life you will be successful you will grow everything will be easy as a church you will glide you'll no longer need to walk it will all become easy this wonderful plan all by some kind of technique going back to um to the story of David and Goliath. There's a certain point there where David comes before Saul and says, I'm ready to take on Goliath because God is with me. He's perhaps at that point the only person in Israel who believed that God was actually with them. So he wanted to meet that foe. How does Saul react? If you want, you can turn there, but I'm going to move on in a moment anyway. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 17 is where that story is. What does Saul do? He says, uh, Oh, right, um, hang on, I need to give you some armor. So Saul, this massive guy, gives David this big, weighty armor and says, right, now you're prepared to go out. So what was in Saul's mind then? Oh, you're going to take some knocks, David. You can't just go out there with a sling. You're going to need some protection. You're going to need something sturdy. You're going to need to meet Goliath in the same way that he is. He's wearing big armor, so you wear big armor. The world is out there wearing big armor. So what's the church need to do? You need to adopt the same techniques. You need to adopt the same strategies. It's rubbish because it's not by faith. And sometimes we can come across techniques in church life. We can hear of techniques which sound like, oh, if only the church would go this way, we'll be successful. Just to give one example, and I hope to explain this reasonably well, uh, many people will either have read or heard uh, stuff that Mark Driscoll has shared. A phenomenal guy um, who, by the grace of God, has seen... His church in Seattle in the United States um, grow from nothing to now around six thousand people um, in just over ten, maybe twelve years. That is quite a phenomenal rate of growth. Um, now he has shared his insights into how he 's gone about that, and one thing that come through, comes through clearly is doing multiple meetings, so the way to reach more people is to to do more, multiple meetings. If we do kind of one in the morning, we can kind of capture young, uh, young families. If we do one later on, we can uh, kind of capture the people who can just about get up for 11. And then we can do kind of a service later on, perhaps like 7, 8 o'clock in the evening, which will kind of capture more single kind of youth. That will be the more edgy kind of energetic meeting. Now, that's not to diss Mark Driscoll. Because by his faith, and on the foundations that he feels convicted about, that's how that church has grown. And they've seen phenomenal growth. Having multiple venues even. So one church meeting in like multiple campuses. We can hear the technique. Ah, the technique of doing multiple meetings. If only we went that way, then suddenly church life would be easy. We'd suddenly see this place filled and that would be fantastic. I wonder why the others aren't going with it. Because we don't just want to go with technique. We want to go with faith on the foundation that God has given us. If we went with multiple meetings, every team in the church would be stretched another couple of stages. If we met at different times, there'd be some profound prophetic words, encouragements, words of knowledge, response times to God that are not planned that other people would miss out on because they'd go to the meeting which was at 4 o'clock. And so suddenly, you don't have one church, you have a number of churches. So how, as a church, are we walking? How, as a church, are we going on from this point? Because for us, there are new challenges. We haven't seen everything yet. We've not kind of arrived at everything which is our inheritance in Christ. There's new things to come. There'll be other distractions as well. How are we going to press on? How are we going to continue to walk? By faith. You know there's a danger of misunderstanding what faith is. We can just look inward. We can look to our feelings. We can kind of think, what what do I have faith for? But then we can just find that we fluctuate massively because sometimes for us, there are things which feel easier to believe for. But circumstances or our perspective or uh, our our feelings at another time can be different and then suddenly, oh, my faith. I'm not quite sure I can believe for this thing to happen now. And what's important for us to realise, no, we don't have faith in our own ability to have faith. We're not trusting in our ability to muster something up by believing. No, we're having faith, we're believing, we're continuing to walk in the one that we've received. This God for whom nothing is impossible. We are a people, we are a community of kind of miracles already, a community of impossibilities. But things that have happened... Because God is not restricted by impossibilities. Each one of us, dare I say, is like a camel that has passed through the eye of a needle. It was impossible for us to do. It's impossible for us to achieve. But it's not impossible with God. And so we've come to faith, not in our own ability to have faith, but in who our God is. That's what David was like. He knew who God was. He wasn't looking at his own ability with a sling. He was looking at God's faithfulness. That was the same with Paul. Trusting in God's faithfulness to fulfill what he promised. And so these are things that we need to remember. We need to remember who we are. We're children of God. We need to remember who we have received as Lord. Not these worldly experts, but Christ Jesus as Lord. The God for whom nothing is impossible. And we need to remember how we have received in the first place, by faith. So that now, as we go on from here, in your life, in our life together as a church, we're walking by faith in who our awesome God is. So that when we make decisions, it's not just on the basis of pragmatics, it's not just on the basis of what the world might say and the techniques which can seem so wise in the world's eyes. No, because if we go that way, we only get what the world can offer. And the world is actually in the domain of darkness anyway. They're stumbling about. Now, we're the people of God. We're the children of God. So when we make decisions in our lives, we want to go with faith. Because we want to see what God can do. What he's able to do. Putting ourselves in a situation when it's not just down to us and our program. Not just down to us and our feelings. It's down to God and who he is, his ability to do the impossible, and he is the one that we're believing in, It's him. We want to see glorified, and we want to see in our own lives, in our lives together as a church, what God can do, because for him nothing is impossible. Let's pray.